Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, somebody once described the Christian life as a chest of drawers. Everybody got a chest of drawers? I got a chest of drawers. I want you to picture in your mind your chest of drawers at home. Lori's is long and it's got a, a mirror. That's hers. I don't go in her drawers. You know, I don't, I don't mess there. Now, mine is tall. It's got, you know, several drawers here. She messes with my drawers. But all of you have a chest of drawers at home. And the Christian life is like a chest of drawers. And when you think of your chest of drawers, you like to organize it a certain way. Like, the, you know, my top rack is all my socks and my handkerchiefs and, and all of that stuff there. And the next drawer is my T-shirts and my underwear. Then I've got my, my T-shirts that I wear, you know, and then, then there's shorts and grubbies and jeans. And, you know, every one of you has a compartment for something in your life, right? Well, if you think about your life, your Christian life, as a chest of drawers, here's what goes on. Every one of you has a certain drawer for a certain part of your life. There's a drawer that you have for your family. There's a drawer that you have for work. There's a drawer that you have for your buddies. There's a drawer that you have for yourself. That's who you are, nobody else around. And then there's the drawer for God. Now, for some of you, that drawer is pretty big. For some of you, that's pretty small. And that's only God's drawer right there. Everything else... You know, there's a family drawer, there's work drawer, there's my buddy's drawer, there's my hobby drawer, there's my drawer for myself. And that's how we compartmentalize. We compartmentalize our lives every day. And it goes into, like, for instance, let me just bring it a little bit more so we understand what I'm talking about here. There's those two hours on Sunday. That's you for you, God. There's eight hours a week for the man, whoever I'm working for. There's... Me time, when I sit in front of the TV or the computer. Of course, there's the sleep time, then there's family time, there's this time. And we compartmentalize our lives, and we, but we give God a, a certain portion of it. You might be shocked to find out that, that God is not pleased with that. You might be shocked to find out that He actually demands... Something far more than what we give him. We say, my drawer for God's pretty big. Yeah, but you see, God's not interested in a drawer. He's interested in the whole chest of drawers. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's interested in all of you. But that's kind of hard for us to grasp because we like to say, well, you know, I, well, who's going to be in control then? Because when I have it in certain drawers, I'm in control. But God doesn't want us to be in control. He wants to be in control of our lives. So I want you to notice, we're going to look at today, we're going to look at verses 25 through 35 of chapter 14, and it's going to be some pretty radical things here that Jesus is saying. In fact, just a few weeks ago, one of you decided to read ahead a little bit while I was preaching, which that's good, read the word, and he came to me and said, what's Jesus saying here? Because what he's going to say here sounds pretty radical. In fact, of all the things for him to say, it sure doesn't fit with Mother's Day. So I want you to notice what he says. And then I'll help you unwrap it. Look with me at verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. Folks, we're going to really take this portion of scripture and we're going to look at it. We're going to divide it into two sections here. But before we get to it, I want us to have a couple of thoughts that really come out a few verses beforehand. A couple of thoughts that really come out a few verses beforehand. What's going on here? What's Luke getting to as he's writing these words of Jesus? Well, Luke has been building. I want you to understand, when you read through the Gospel of Luke, it's just not a bunch of little stories that are stuck together. Luke is building upon one concept after another. One concept after another. He's trying to get to a main point here. And what he's building upon is a deceptive assumption that a lot of us have concerning God, concerning Christ in our life. And it comes out of Luke chapter 14, the verses that are before there. What you see there is, he remember he talked about the great master holding a feast and he sent out invitations. And some of the folks that he invited came up with these lame brain excuses. I mean, think about it. He's throwing a big feast and one guy says... I bought some land. I need to go see it. Well, he's probably already seen it if he's bought some land. The other guy says, well, you know, I just got five yoke of oxen. I want to try them out. Well, you know what? Before you buy the ox, you better make sure that it can pull, right? And then the final guy, I just got married. So all of these are lame brain excuses. And what, what's the point is, is that they're snubbing the master. They're snubbing the master. And so Jesus here is laying down what it means for you and I to be his follower. Because here's the thing. Our tendency is, is if it doesn't fit what we want to do, God takes a second seat. Did you hear what I said? If it doesn't fit what we want to do, God takes a second seat. So for instance, Sunday is an option for a lot of people. In fact, most of us, before we decide to come to church, we look and see, do we have something better going on? Period. Or, do I feel like it? So here's the deceptive condition. First of all, there's a preoccupation with what we want. Before we understand what Jesus is getting to when he makes these radical demands, we need to understand that there's a preoccupation with what we want. That's where a lot of us have this problem. The issue comes down to what we want. What we want. We know best. It's what I want. It's all about me. Remember, that's the saying in my house. It's all about you, George. It's all about me. 
You know, it's like we, we have ice cream. We, every once in a while, we'll go, down, we'll go down to Goodman's and get the ice cream that's on sale. But I'll say to him, I'll go pick up the ice cream. And inevitably, one of my kids wants to go with me. No, 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 I can handle it. Because I want my vanilla bean. But we're probably going to get mint chocolate chip. Or death by chocolate or decadence, something like that, you know? You know, because when it's all about me, see, there's a preoccupation with what we want. You, know, you laugh at that. Now, here's what's going to happen. I'll never be able to go to Goodman's alone again to get ice cream, okay? So... But, but here's the point. You and I understand that. When you look at your life, what's it about? Let's take it a little bit deeper. When you look at your marriages, who's it about? Well, it's about her. No, no, it isn't. It's about you. See, we are preoccupied with what we want. Jesus is getting that. So when it comes to God, oh yeah, I love God, but it's, it's what I want. Here's the other thing. Jesus is not taken seriously. We don't take Jesus seriously. When you think about the reality of who He is and what He's done for us, or we want salvation, or we want forgiveness, but you know what, Jesus? We just don't take Him seriously. Let's, Let's be honest with ourselves. We do not take Him seriously, and that's where we're at. So this out of this comes these statements from Jesus. So let's look at them. First of all, we're going to see, I called it His Demands. When you read these passages, you cannot help but notice that these are demands. In fact, I want you to notice there's a correlation. When you look at the passage before there, there are three excuses. Remember the three excuses? No, I've got to go look at the land I just bought, or I've got to try out these oxen that I have. You know, I mean, or I'm married. There are three excuses. What you're going to see here is there are three demands. Jesus follows up in this passage with three demands. Here's the first one. He must be our priority. Now Jesus says something in verse 26 that is the most shocking of all the scriptures. Notice what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brother and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. A lot of us have a hard time with that. And we're immediately our response is, is wait a minute, now, is Jesus telling me I've got to start hating people, the people I love? What's the matter with him? Well, let me help you calm down a little bit here. Jesus is using a literary device. He's saying some things for shock value. You ever done that? Parents, have you done that with your kids? Where you say things for shock value? If you do that, I'm going to kill you. You ever done that? That's a literary device. Do you understand that? But this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying something to a radical extreme to try to get our attention. Because honestly, folks, he is not telling you to hate your mother and father. Because in another passage, he rebukes the Pharisees for not honoring their mother and father. So that's not the issue. That's not the issue at all. What's he trying to do here? He's trying to get your attention through shock value that something's got to be the priority in your life. Even above your mom and dad. Even above your children. Even above your spouse. Even above yourself. Who's that got to be? Jesus. He's saying if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, not a churchgoer, but a follower, the ultimate priority in your life has to be Jesus has to be him. He's the priority. So that's the first demand he makes. He says, if you're going to follow me, 
You need to make me the priority. Now, we understand that. We understand that from other areas of our life. In fact, you are willing to do that for other areas of your life. What do you mean, George? Because all of us here are involved in things where we know that where we are demands something from us. We'll willingly do that. But for some reason, when it comes to God, wait a minute now, I'm not ready for that. He said, what do you mean? Well, let's take this. How many of you ever been involved with a sport? How many of you ever had a coach who said something like this? Guys, I'm glad you're a part of the team, but I just want you to know we're pretty, we're pretty loosey-goosey here, so if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. Practice is only when you want to have it. And when we play the game, if it's not your day and you're not feeling well, hey, we'll do okay with the loss. How many of you ever had a coach like that? No, they want you at practice when? Yesterday. They want you at the game and they want you playing what? Your best. And do you think they accept loss? Not any coach I've ever had. You understand that. And so what does that coach want you to do if you're on his team? He wants you to make the team his what? Priority. How many of you got a job like that? Some of you have a job like that where the job demands from you that you make the job a priority. You understand what I'm saying? We understand that in every other area of our life. We just can't seem to accept it when it comes to Jesus asking the same thing of us. He's telling us we must, he must be our priority. Here's the second demand he makes. Look with me at verse 27. And said, whoever does not bear his cross and does not come after me cannot be my disciple. Here's what he's saying. Here's the second demand he makes of us. He must be followed no matter what. He must be followed no matter what. Here's what he's saying. Look, if you cannot take up your cross... Now, let me explain something to you. In their culture, that did not mean that you wore a cross around your neck. It didn't mean a little piece of jewelry ornament or, or a tattoo that you have on your arm. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about there, and what they understood in that day is, is that a cross was a, a method of execution. And what they would normally do is, and we see this in Jesus' life, is that... The person who's going to be hung on the cross would have to carry his own implement of death to wherever it was that he was going to be crucified. So it literally meant that if you're going to follow him, you need to be willing to do whatever it takes to follow him. You need to follow him no matter what, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the problems are going to be. He's that much of a priority to you. You'd do anything for him. And again, let's stop for a moment. You and I understand that. We understand that. Why? Because you are already doing that in some other areas of your life. Some of you here would literally give yourself physically for your kids. That's great. You need to do that. Some of you here would literally physically give yourself for your family. But the problem is is that if he's your priority, that means you need to do whatever it takes to follow him. So sometimes following him may require you to be scorned by somebody else, to be laughed at, to be mocked. But if you're going to follow him, Jesus says, you need to follow me, you need to take up your cross. You need to take that step forward. But here's the problem, I'll be honest with you, and I know who, because I'm, I'm there. When I'm speaking this message, it's not like I've got my act together and everything here. I'm there because here's what we want to do. It's like, you ever seen somebody straddle a fence? And if we have a fence here, and it's all that we want, and then all that Jesus wants here, we want the best of both worlds. And, and we want to make a halfway commitment. Have you noticed that? 
We want to make a halfway commitment. But what Jesus is saying is, I don't want halfway commitments. If you're going to follow me, the demand I make from you is, is that you follow me no matter what happens. No matter the outcome, no matter the problem, no matter the difficulty. But then he goes one step further, and he does this through the illustration of two things. These are illustrations that we can understand. So I want you to notice with me, look with me, verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest he lay a foundation and is not able to finish it. And all who see it begin to mock him, and saying that this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the others are still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Here's what he's saying. The cost of following him must be considered. He gives us two illustrations. One of them we can relate to because if you've driven around our area, you more than likely have seen somebody begin a project on their house. How many of you have ever seen projects that are begun on the house and, and they're still working on it 20 years later? And you drive by there and you're looking to see if something's changed. And then maybe you're surprised because maybe they got a little bit of money so they did a little bit more work and you're like, oh wow, they did a little bit more work been five years. What happens is, as Jesus is saying, if the same thing happened in his time. Folks would begin a project. They didn't consider the cost. Got into it. Costs were way far beyond what they thought it would be. And so they stopped. And so people begin to mock. Hey, we see it all the time in the news. The government's good for doing that, isn't it? We mock that because nobody considered the cost completely before they began. He uses the illustration of war. You don't go to war without thinking about what it's going to cost. He says it's the same thing when it comes to your commitment to Jesus Christ. You just don't decide to follow Jesus and not think about what it means. He's demanding that you and I, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, that you consider what that means. What's that going to change in your life? See, so here's the thing. I'm going to be honest with you. We did, we've done a disservice for folks over the years. It used to not be this way, but for some reason over the last 50 years, especially, we've done a disservice. We just told people that if they wanted forgiveness and wanted eternal life, that all you need to do is just pray a prayer and you're going to be okay. We never told them what it was going to cost them. We say, we can't earn your salvation. No, you can't earn your salvation. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, you need to consider what it's going to cost you to be a disciple of his. Because why? Not everybody's going to be happy about that. It may require you to come to Jesus to change some things about the way you're living. Because not everything you do is right. Does everybody understand that? Not everything you do is right. Now, how do I know that? Well, here I am. I'm 46 years old. Back in 1985, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, here I am, 27 years later, still realizing I still got to give up some things. He's showing me things today in my life that aren't right, that He doesn't care for, that I still need to give up. Now, can I be honest? That process is going to happen until I go to be with Jesus. But the reality is, is you got to consider the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. Because he wants to change you. 
He wants you to be different. So here we are. He's making these three demands. He's saying, look, look, guys, I want to be the priority in your life. If you want to follow me, you make me the priority. He says this, number two. You really need to think about what it's going to cost you to follow me. And you need to follow me no matter what the cost is. No matter what it's going to take from your life. No matter what it's going to do to your life. You make the decision to follow me. That's what he's demanding. And then finally, you better consider what it is to be a disciple. You've got to be consider what it's going to cost you in every day of your life. And do it. Those are the three demands. Now, why would he say that? Well, then if you notice with me, verse 34, it seems like an odd section he adds on here. But he's trying to make a point so that you and I understand. Because he's going to talk about the impact of your life. Look with me at verse 34. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, that's rubbish heap, but men throw it out. He who has an ear, let him hear. Two things I want you to see. First of all, Jesus tells us in other places, he calls the, his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. So if you're a follower in Jesus Christ, he's saying you're salt. Now he's trying to make a point here. Here's what he's wanting to see. That an uncommitted life is worthless. He's saying salt is good. You know, a lot of us here, we cannot eat a meal without salt. Have you noticed that? I mean, it just adds to the meal. It adds flavor Hey, how many of you like French fries without salt? Nobody. How many of you eat your steak without season? Nobody. You've got to have what on it? Salt. This is the point. He's saying you're salt. Now, salt is good. But here's the point he's wanting to see. Look with me. He says there, but if the salt has lost its flavor, if your life has lost its flavor, now how does it lose its flavor? Somebody's no longer the priority in your life. In fact, Jesus is no longer the priority. You've got another priority. It's you. What you want. Here, in fact, here, uh, let me explain something to you. For those of you who say, no, it isn't. It's my kids. They're the priority. No, no. It's you. You're the priority even if you make your kids the priority. It's what you want for your kids. It's you. You're the priority. And when that happens, listen to me, your life loses its flavor. Your life is going to lose its impact. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say that your life is worthless. It's, when salt loses its flavor, you just might as well throw it out on the rubbish heap. An uncommitted life is worthless. If Jesus is not the focus of your life, if he's not the priority, your life is worthless. And Then he follows it up with one statement here at the end, verse 35. Hear who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's he saying here? Think about it. Think about it. He's made some demands for us. He's made three demands that really need to be considered. He's, he's told us if we, we're not going to be committed to him, then our life is worthless. Now, what does he want us to do about it? Well, here's what he wants us to do. He doesn't want a decision. We're into decisions. You notice that? Tell me what your decision is. Well, because a lot of times we can make a decision and not think about it and then later on decide, well, I decided wrong and I'm not going to do that. Have you ever done that before? Been pushed into a decision, made a decision, and then later on you're like, forget that decision. He's saying these are my demands. This is what your life is going to be like if you don't commit yourself. It's going to be worthless. 
And here's what I want you to do about it. I want you to think about it. See, it's a whole lot easier to make a decision because you can just forget about it and go on and do your own thing. See, he would rather you think about it because if you think about it and if you understand and you make a decision based upon thinking about it, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. So you say, okay, George, how do we, how do we take this serious demands that Jesus is making of us and how do we apply it to our life? Well, I've got two questions for you. Number one, are you serious about following Jesus? Are you serious about following Jesus? You know what, it's, some of you, a lot of you here will profess faith in Jesus Christ. You will say that there was a time when you committed your life to Jesus Christ. You remember when it was, maybe you were a child, maybe you were an adult. But that's as far as it's gone in your life. But when you come to a passage like this, where Jesus is making these three demands, you've got to ask yourself a question, are you serious about him? Or is it just one little drawer of a chest of drawers? Is it just one little drawer of a chest of drawers? Or is it that he demands the whole kit and caboodle? And I don't like that. So you've got to ask yourself the question, are you serious about following him? See, Jesus isn't just into lip service. He wants to see action. He wants to see the priority of it. See, this is what we're, we're talking about. It's, it's great to sing songs to Jesus and to say, I love you. But do you take him seriously? Do you take him seriously? Because your life's going to grow. Here's the second thing. What's Jesus calling you to? What's he calling you to, to do? What's Jesus calling you to do? Think about that. What's Jesus calling you to do? Is it that you make him the priority, not yourself? Because ultimately, that, that's really where the decision comes down to. Who's going to be the priority? Is it you or Jesus? So, so you've got to think about that. Who, who's going to be the priority? So you say, okay, George, how, what do we do then? Well, here's what I want you to do. Here's, here's the action point for this week. Move beyond lip service to action. Move beyond lip service to action. Does that mean i got to start carrying my Bible to work? No. No, it doesn't mean that at all. In fact, if that's what your thought is of following Jesus, we need to correct that. Take Jesus to work with you, but it's not that you carry your Bible with you. In fact, here's what it is. If, if Jesus is... Is if you're serious about Jesus and putting lip service into action, you begin to let Jesus have access to every other drawer in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? You begin to let Jesus have the priority in every other drawer of your life. Not just that one drawer for those two hours on Sunday. Do you understand? It's time for us, folks, to move beyond just lip service. He's calling you and I to make Him the priority. To consider what it is that's going to cost us to follow Him. And that we're going to follow Him no matter what. That's what He's calling us to do. Thank you for being with us this morning. 
And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.